Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Today, the police will kill three people. This attack on policing. Reform the police, yes. Call them all racist, no. Wear a mask. Socially distance. Something new. Updated guidelines from the CDC. Biden has exceeded expectations that progressives had. The Democrat Party wants to change the way America works. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is a new week of News and Views and uh, going to be introducing you to Mark Walker, the former congressman who is now a declared candidate for the U.S. Senate. He'll be uh, with us in just a little bit. Uh, First off, WAVY out of Norfolk is reporting the family of Andrew Brown Jr., the man shot and killed by law enforcement last week in Elizabeth City, spoke after watching the body camera footage of the incident after attorneys say law enforcement wanted to add redaction to the video. The family was set to see the video at 1130 this morning. That was delayed until 130. That was delayed again Around 3.15, the family was able to see the video. It was only about 20 seconds of a video after there was uh, some redactions made. Some of the faces in the video had to be blurred out. The family said they watched the video 10 to 20 times. According to the family, the video described Brown in the driveway and a sheriff truck blocking the driveway. His hands were on the steering wheel and deputies ran up to the vehicle. The family say Brown was trying to drive away from being shot. Again, that's what the family said. Attorneys for the family said they lost count of how many shots were fired. They stated that they were able to see the body camera that was the furthest away from the incident. During the briefing, one of Brown's sons says he feels he and his family are against all odds. Quote, my dad just got executed just by saving his own life. The officers were not in no harm of him at all. It's just messed up how this happened. Attorney for the family said they will provide another media briefing at 11 a.m. tomorrow regarding their independent findings after the release of the body camera footage. Pasquotank County officials will once again go on Wednesday to release more footage. This all comes as Elizabeth City and surrounding Pasquotank County have declared a state of emergency ahead of the uh, public release of the video. You know, a couple things. I, I don't know what's going on in this. It's, it's hard to, to, to know what is accurate, what is not accurate. I will say this, Ben Crump, who has now flown down to Elizabeth City from Minneapolis, where he won $27 million for the family of George Floyd, he is now up in Elizabeth City, uh, supposedly representing Andrew Brown's family. I would just caution you that he was the same one when it came to that Columbus, Ohio shooting that uh, he said that Bryant was a 15-year-old unarmed young lady, a child that was uh, shot and executed by police officers. Well, now that story has changed considerably. Again, I don't know. I have no inside knowledge of what happened and in this uh, situation up in Elizabeth City. And I haven't seen the video, and uh, I haven't heard any neutral parties describe the video. All, all that to say is let's be patient, let's find out, and... Um, 
you know, it, as, as it happens, oftentimes what you initially hear and what you find out to be the truth can be, I'm not saying it is, but can be two different scenarios. And if what the family is saying is correct, there will be people that are held responsible. We'll just have to wait and see. What did this Andrew Brown, um, there were warrants out for his arrest related to selling drugs, selling cocaine, selling meth. They went to uh, arrest Andrew Brown Jr. And uh, that's when the confrontation happened. Now, he was driving off. He was trying to flee. The, 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 did, I, I don't know. I'm not even going to speculate. I'm not even going to speculate. But uh, let's, let's wait. Let's be patient. Um, protesters in Elizabeth City are on their sixth day of marches demanding the release of the video camera footage. Again, the family saw about 20 seconds at 3.15 this afternoon. At 12.40 Monday, WAVA's Kayla Gaskins reported the protesters had shut down the bridge over the Pasquotank River between Elizabeth City and Camden County. An hour later, the Camden County Sheriff's Office stated that the bridge had reopened traffic. Local deputies and police officers were diverting traffic and asking drivers to avoid the area at the peak of the protest. Earlier today, both city, uh, Elizabeth City and Pasquotank County again declared a state of emergency ahead of the release of the video. And again, it hasn't been publicly released. That will happen on Wednesday. Um, be patient. Let's see what happens. Right now, though, this is making national news. I mean, this is out of Fox, NBC. Everybody's covering this right now. And uh, we're rushing to judgment. You know, the uh, what were what were the awards last night? Was I, I it was I guess it was the Oscars. Yeah, well, nobody watched it, including me. That's why I can't remember what it was. But uh, you know, it got it was all political, as as usual, and and the ratings were terrible. And of course, nobody's seen the films either. <laughs> the the Oscars that nobody watched. None of them looked familiar at all. Not even a trailer. Yeah. So anyway, the. But but the comments that you heard at the beginning of the program that uh, Clark rolled at the beginning of the program, you know, this guy getting up and say, uh, you know, police kill three people every day of the year. Uh, th th that is just that is just not helpful. It's not true. And the, those people that do lose their lives, he pushed it totally out of context. We're, we're setting this up now. The police officers are just blindly going around executing people as they feel like it. That's the narrative that the left is pushing. It's sad. It's dangerous. And the, the, the saddest thing about all this, now look, I understand there are, are police officers that don't do their jobs well and they need to be held accountable. But the saddest thing about this is those people that the left proclaims that they want to protect are the ones that will be hurt the worst without police presence. It's just that simple. The News and Observer is reporting that North Carolina will be getting another member of Congress. The state will receive a 14th seat in the United States House of Representatives based on the first public results from the 2020 census. Not a big surprise. We thought this was going to happen. North Carolina had been long expecting to gain another seat, which also gives it a 16th member of the Electoral College for the 2024-2028 presidential election. The 435-member House is reapportioned 
each decade based upon each sentence, uh, census, I should say. North Carolina had 9.5 million residents in 2010, according to that year's census. The estimate of the state population last summer was 10.6 million, so approximately a 10% increase, an increase of 1.1 million people in the state of North Carolina. Yeah, you think it seems like it's a lot more crowded than it used to be? <laughs> I think it is. The state's Two most populous counties, Wake and Mecklenburg, continue to grow. Each county is already too large to be contained in a single congressional district. The second congressional district, Wake, and the 12th congressional district, Mecklenburg, are solely within the county lines. So you've got a, an entire county with just uh, a representative representing that county and, and not beyond the county lines. I mean, here in the east, I mean, Greg Murphy, was it like 21 counties he has? With so much of the state's population centered in those two counties, with rural, some rural counties losing population, the new districts are likely to be in, the new district is likely to be in one of those two counties. More than half the state's population growth, 53% from 2010 to 2015, occurred in three counties, Wake, Mecklenburg, and Durham. In 2016, 2017, that number was 40% with suburban counties, and retirement destinations seeing additional growth based on population estimates. All but one North Carolina current um, 13 districts now has a population that exceeds the rough estimate of 757,000 uh, people in each of the 14 redrawn congressional districts. Now, remember that while it's probably going to be Wake or Mecklenburg counties that receive an addition the the additional seat one of those two areas it, it will totally rearrange the other 13 districts so it's entirely possible that we could see some trickle effect of wherever the new district goes we could see some trickle effect here in the eastern part of the state i don't think it's going to be significant but if you know if you're barely in the third district or you're barely in the first district it's entirely possible that you'd, you'd be bumped from one to the other. But uh, it is interesting to see the growth in uh, eastern North Carolina and in, in the entire uh, state, for that matter. In 1950, the population, 4 million people. 1960, 4.5 million. 1975 million. 1985, 8.8 million. 1990, 6.6 .6 million, 2008 million, 2010, 9.5 million, 2020, 10.6 million. So there was a pretty, pretty good jump from 2000 to 2010 uh, of uh, 8 million to uh, 9.5 million. And again, in 2010 to 2020, from 9.5 million to uh, uh, 10.6 million. The... Interesting to note, too, just uh, over the years, only um, only seven states have more representatives than North Carolina, whose 14 seats are tied with Georgia. The uh, I was looking at this earlier, just the, the history of this. Um, th there was, well, let's see, back in, uh, back in 1950, we had... 12, uh, 12 congressional seats. It actually dropped in 1960 through 1980. We were at 11. We jumped back in 1990 to 12. 
and uh, we went up to 13 in 2000, and we'll go to 14 in 2020. Uh, it was also interesting is the, the number of states that are losing representation, and uh, nine states in the Northeast, Upper, upper Midwest, and California were slated to lose at least one seat due to population changes. Texas could gain as many as three congressional seats. Interesting, isn't it? How the liberal states are losing. Now, people, well, they, they want to go where it's warm. California's warm. <laughs> They're losing in California. They're losing in the liberal Northeast and in some of the liberal Midwestern states. They're losing. Why? Because people want to get out of there. They want to get away from high taxes. They want to get away from regulation. They want to get away of lawlessness. And they're moving to the South, and they're moving to uh, states that are run by conservatives. It shouldn't be any great surprise. News and Observer is reporting after more than three years of courting and an initial snub, North Carolina is landing an Apple campus. This is this is big bucks. I I, I, I like the Apple phone. I don't really like Apple's politics. Apple plans to invest $1 billion in North Carolina over 10 years, including $552 million to establish a campus in the Research Triangle. It will create at least 3,000 jobs, according to the Department of Commerce. The company says it will spend another $448 million expanding its data center in Catawba County. No new jobs there. The RTP jobs will pay an average, you ready for this, $187,000 a year. The company's decision was announced this morning at the monthly meeting of Economic Investment Committee, which makes decisions about job development grants. The committee approved a jobs grant of $845.8 um, uh, .8 million over 39 years to Apple. Over 39, I mean, in 40 years from now, will Apple even be around? I'm, I'm dead serious. And now, I, I guess if they're not around, we don't have to pay it. But as fast as technology flips and changes will will something be replacing apple 40 years from now the jobs development investment grant award to apple is the largest in state history in addition 112.4 million from the state income tax paid by apple's new employees will flow to a utility fund for broadband roads bridges and other infrastructure projects in rural communities wake county also offered apple a business development grant that will pay 50% of new property tax growth back to the company. The campus will be a million square feet on the Wake County side of the RTP on tracts of land straddling North Carolina Route 540 near Cary and Mooresville. It will run on 100% renewable energy. Might get a little cold in the wintertime, the company said. Roy Cooper, the state senator, Phil Berger, uh, state senate leader, rather, Phil Berger, and uh, House Speaker Tim Moore and other leaders from both political parties held a rare joint press conference at the executive mansion to celebrate the announcement. By the way, Roy Cooper will give his State of the State address tonight, the same day he announced that uh, Apple News. It uh, will be streamed. Well, you can watch it on PBS. It'll also be streamed by PBS at pbsnc.org. It begins at 7 o'clock, and I'm sure the governor will take many, many bows on this Apple News. And we're going to take a time out and we get back. I want to introduce you to Mark Walker. 
He is one of two Republicans who have officially announced that he is running to replace U.S. Senator Richard Burr. We'll have that interview when we get back. This is your Drive at 5 and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in 24 minutes past the top of the hour. 35 years ago in 1986, the worst nuclear reactor disaster of the 20th century occurred at Chernobyl. 31 Soviets were killed instantly. It's a, I mean, it's desolate now. There's nothing there. The uh, area is completely useless. A hundred and um, how many years ago was this? 156 years ago, 1865. Abraham Lincoln's assassin, John Wilkes Booth, was killed by federal troops near Port Royal, Virginia, 50 miles south of Washington. Take a look at your weather forecast tonight. Clear with low around 48. Good-looking week coming up. Sunny tomorrow with a high near 82. Uh, clear tomorrow night, low 58. Wednesday, mostly sunshine with a high near 86. And uh, Wednesday night, clear with a low around 63. So the warm weather is here. Hey, uh, Mark Walker, I got together with him earlier this afternoon. He was in town in Greenville for a meeting. He stopped by my studios and uh, had a chance to sit down and talk to him. Mark served as the U.S. Representative for North Carolina's 6th Congressional District. We had a chance to talk. Here's that interview. Mark Walker, who has served as the U.S. Representative for North Carolina's 6th Congressional District from January of 2015 to January of 2021, is with us. Mark is married to Kelly Sears, who is a nurse practitioner. They have three children in Greensboro. Mark, welcome in. Good to have you with us. Hey, Tom, thanks. We're glad to be here today. First of all, your family. How old are your kids? Oh, but goodness gracious. I, my son is 26. I have a daughter uh, who just turned 23, and our youngest is 14. A little bit of surprise almost after a nine-year gap. Any grandkids uh, yet? No, none yet. We're okay. just, just the five of us at this point. You were a member of Congress for three terms. Yes, Tell us about the situation where you sort of got gerrymandered out district. Uh, you were put into a district with Ted Budd, I believe. Correct. And you decided not to run? Yeah, that, that is correct. In fact, I remember the day that I went over to Ted's office. I was in the Longworth building. I have a little seniority, and uh, some of the younger ones are in Cannon building. So I, I went over and I said, Ted, uh, I have about 55 to 57 percent of the constituents in the new district. I think he, he has about 33 or 34 percent. I said, but I've already been praying and processing about running for Richard Burr's seat. I'd, in fact, I'd even met with the president a couple times in the Oval Office talking about it. I said, I'll step down from Congress. We don't need to run against each other, of course. So you stay in this seat, and I'll run for the United States Senate. And that, at that moment, that's what we decided to do. They put us in what it's called, if you're scoring it, a D18. The most upside-down seat in all of Congress is like a D3 or D4. Didn't behoove us to spend all of our resources when we already knew that we were running for U.S. Senate. Had Burr already announced that he wasn't running for re-election at that point, or were you just speculating? I was maybe more speculating, but it was just something in our heart to do. Uh, I felt like North Carolina needed a senator uh, who had a conservative uh, background, uh, but also had a conservative record and was willing to go to Washington and kind of grab the bull by the horns to be able to call out some of the things that we see. So would you have run if Burr hadn't announced that he was? I, when I ran for U.S. Congress, I actually announced before a 30-year incumbent had even retired. Hmm. I feel like this is something, and sometimes I see this in politics, people wait to see who's running or who's not running. I believe, Tom, I'm convinced that if it's in your heart, if you almost feel that it's a calling, 
you go and you be obedient, you do everything you can, no matter who is or who isn't. And that's the way I decided to run for U.S. Senate as well. Right now, announcing on the Republican side, you, you were the first to announce. Pat McCrory announced a couple of weeks ago. Others that at this point are considering announcing is, in fact, well, Laura Trump. I think she's a, a long shot at this point. That's, that's my speculation. I, I, I'd be surprised if she announced. But in, indeed, Ted Budd is talking about running, correct? Yes, I, I have heard that, and uh, I, I believe he has. Uh, he's certainly, am I a little bit surprised? I would be, but I hope that it doesn't get to the point where Ted and I are taking votes and Governor McCroy, the former governor, goes through the middle there. So, so we'll see if he makes a final decision to do so. We've gotten out of the gates. We've already picked up the endorsements of Senator Tim Scott, Governor Mike Huckabee, uh, Madison Cawthorn. In fact, every Republican sheriff we have ever represented in Congress have already come out a year from the primary and said, we completely and publicly support Mark Walker, no matter who else is running. And we're very proud of that record. Let me back up and ask you a couple of philosophical questions related to your role as a pastor for 14, 16 years? 16 years. That's correct, Tom. You just talked about a calling. Uh, Obviously, when you go into the pastorate, that is a calling. Uh, you're, You're looking at First of all, the inward call confirmed by an outward call. I've talked to other pastors that might be very conservative in their way of thinking, their ideology as as they approach scriptures, but as they approach politics. I know of some that just said it would be hard for me to walk away from this calling as a pastor to do anything else. How did that wrestling match go? That's a a great question. Switch careers. I remember back in 2012, I started attending some of the Greensboro City Council meetings. The strong bend to the left and just the dysfunctionality, it began just to churn something in me. And then for the first time ever, I went to the Republican National Convention. I believe it was in Tampa that year. So I'm watching the election that fall in November. And when President Barack Obama won a second term, I knew in my heart, in fact, I literally got up out of the living room, walked down the hall with the bedroom and told my wife, I'm running for the United States Congress. And, and this may not be. <laughs> what was her response? Well, she's she was a former emergency room nurse and her language might not have been, no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> uh, she's been supportive since day one. But here's the crazy thing. And I don't, I don't know, maybe some of your audience may not may or may not agree with this. I felt just as passionate and just led as just as strong to step away from ministry to run for U.S. Congress as I did to lead the business world. I spent five or six years in the business world before leaving and going back to school, getting my theology degree. But I felt such a burden about our country and the direction that it was headed and the lack of the spiritual values and the morals and the godly teaching that we've seen stripped away from every entity that I felt like I had to do my part to fulfill that calling. In fact, I was so ignorant. I didn't even know anybody in Raleigh or D.C. I didn't know how much money you were supposed to raise. In fact, in January of 2014, before the May primary, I had like $8,000 cash on hand, maybe 8800 and my opponent had well into the six figures. And I remember reading all the newspaper clips of, well, he's a nice enough guy, but he will never win because he doesn't have the money. But I just believe that the grassroots, the evangelical community would come out and stand up, and they did. And we actually end up setting a record as far as turnout in that runoff later that summer. Since you didn't run for a re-election against Ted Budd when you were in Congress, did that leave you with any war chest? Great question. In fact, the first time I've asked, I think we had about a half a million dollars. Instead of wasting that on a seat that would, uh, by all st- stretch of the imagination, was drawn for a uh, Democrat which uh, ended up taking it, I felt like let's save that, let's build it as our foundation, which is what we're doing. And that's one of the reasons that we're able to travel statewide and get our message out. As you look at what our country is facing right now, 
how do you address this in terms of it being really spiritual warfare? It's exactly what it is. This is no much, no longer as much as Democrats versus Republican as it is just a spiritual battle. And I, and I know I get some pushback, but this is evil that we're dealing with. Yeah. The darkest night time that we had on the House floor, the debate went well into the night. And we were literally, and I couldn't believe this, we were arguing over whether a baby should be allowed to live if it survived a botched abortion back and forth, and you could literally feel the oppression in the room. And I remember that night when the dust settled, only three Democrats voted that a baby should be allowed to live if the intent was to abort it. I went back to my office, it was around midnight, and I took out three thank you cards, and I hand wrote a thank you note to those three Democrats who had the courage to do that. All three were primary, two were taken out, only one exists, it's a Hispanic gentleman, Henry Cuellar from San Antonio. In fact, yeah. he's the one that recently released some of the pictures at the border, but right. they're after him now. In the Democrat Party, and I hate to, hate to be overly partisan, there's no space for anybody who believes from a pro-life position. They want them gone, and they will take them out if they do try to stand up for it. Yeah, it is interesting that the Democrats march in lockstep, the Republicans don't, and that yet people use that as a negative against Republicans because they can think for themselves and vote for themselves. Yes, no, independent, we're, we're conservative, we're individualism thinking people as far as our conservative or independent. We want the government out of our lives to make our own decisions. And I've seen it many times when Nancy Pelosi blows the whistle, they all yeah. line up. It's a strength for them when they come to an issue. And I think some on some issues, I think Republicans, we should be lining up on some of these major issues that our country's facing. What would you say are the three biggest issues right now our country is facing? Well, I, the last two years I spent as ranking member on intelligence and counterterrorism uh, for the Homeland Security Subcommittee. I think the, the growth of China is something that we are not paying attention to. Uh, I've traveled many countries. I've seen some of the military buildup in the South China Sea. In that, so one ties with number two, which is, which, and we don't talk about it, maybe it's not as sexy enough as, as the national debt. I was passed over three times for a ways and means position because I refused to vote for the spending bills in the omnibus because a lot of that debt we're borrowing is from China. We continue to strengthen them. And I worry specifically with this administration when you had five Bidens on the Chinese payroll, right, the CCP, I think that the smallest amount one of them got was $20 million. What's the old adage? If you owe the bank $10,000, they control you. If you owe the bank $10 billion, you own them. Who is more to lose if we were to default on the amount of money that we owe China? Well, no, that's and that may be something over the next few years that we come face to face with since we are borrowing, I think we're over a trillion dollars now of debt to China. Uh, you know, Proverbs does talk about it to, to back you up there that the debtor is servant to the lender. Right. Uh, but at some point, uh, how does how does that balance work out as yeah. far as when when they're willing to underwrite so much? As you look at this overall race, there's a couple of things that are probably going to come up. First of all, I've heard from some of our listeners that they were surprised and I'll say a little dismayed that there was a letter that came forth from Paul Ryan endorsing you and their impression was that you had these connections to Paul Ryan. A, is that correct? And B, if so, how would you address that as a concern? Uh, no, thank you for asking that. We have we got a little bit of feedback, or should I say pushback. Uh, that was a third-party mailer. I did serve with Speaker Ryan. I think he wanted to send out something that was talking about our character, integrity, integrity and how we serve in the U.S. House. If you notice that mailer, there's no quote for me on that anywhere that directly addresses him. Mm -hmm. uh, in retrospect, if we if I'd have known about it, would, should we have kind of pushed back on it? There's debate on that because Chuck Schumer is probably going to spend two hundred million dollars against us. 
So do you preclude- $200 million. $200 million, yes. That's what the Democrats are saying, that they're going to go after the Republican primary winner, which we hope is us. But as far as on the other topic, I have to make a decision. Is it wise to preclude anybody who wants to go out there and help us raise some funds? I don't align my political values with Speaker Ryan. That's why I have 100% in the 116th Congress Heritage Action scored me as 100% and Project 538 projected me to be the number one America first pro-conservative if I was to win even ahead of Ted Cruz's scoring card. The situation that took place in the winter spring of 2019 with the insurance commissioner, Mike Causey, there was some donations that came forth from an individual The situation was such that he really wanted to control the insurance commissioner and have this insurance commissioner look the other way on a couple of issues. And to grease the skids, he was giving out large donations to certain political candidates. The publication Politico identified you as the unnamed public official A in the indictment who called the state insurance officials after a political committee came under his control. They said you received $150,000 in that situation. Of course, that was a situation where former Representative Robin Hayes got into some trouble, ended up basically being put on probation. Do you look at that as an uh, asset or a, a deficit in terms of your uh, campaign? Well, first of all, the story was political, but it wasn't even actual uh, truth. The $150,000 went to the Republican National Committee. We never saw a single penny. What happened was, is Vice President Pence, after I worked with him in repealing Obamacare and defunding Planet, put on the House side, he said, Mark, I'm happy to come do an event for you. I said, let's put it together. So it was called the Mark Walker Victory Fund, but it was a joint committee, I'll stay out of the weeds here, where people could give to the Republican National Committee as well. Even though it was called the Mark Walker Victory Fund, that check, every bit of it. Now, he gave to 33 different political officials, and because there was such nothing there, we were never even called for the trial. That was a complete hit piece by Washington, D.C. rag. And uh, so, you know, it, is it stuff that you have to deal with from time to time when people come after you? You do. But but usually in my background, that means you're, you're usually used to getting close to success or getting over the target when people do kind of drop such narratives on you. Yes, uh, Mike Causey will vouch for me and anybody else to know that, that that story was completely fabricated. Well, and Mike, Mike Causey certainly turned out to be the hero in that story. Yes, and yes. His, uh, yeah. and, was... he did, and he did right, and, and Mike and I have great relationships. In fact, Mike and I actually ran against each other in for the 2014 primary, and he went on to be the insurance commissioner. But I still consider him a good friend, and I believe that's vice versa. So as you look over the coming months, what is the plan of action for your campaign? Well, we want to continue to travel statewide. There may be other candidates that have more money or outraise us, but I can tell you, Tom, nobody will outwork us. I love being out there. Maybe that's the pastor ministry in me for the last 16 years. And to have people come out this early, uh, I'll give you an example. There are 33 elected officials in Guilford County, Republicans. It's a county that Ted Budd and I have split for the last four years. All 33 have already come out and endorsed us publicly. And the reason I like that is because those are the people who know you the best, that speak to how you serve, not just in Washington, D.C., but are you available in the communities? Do you Mm -hmm. show up? Do you commit? Now, now here's the most amazing thing. Here's why I believe I'm the most electable candidate, is even though I'm considered kind of hard right, even crazy right by some of the left with a 100% scorecard, I was the only member in the entire U.S. Congress to win the President's Award from the United Negro College Foundation. I'm the only elected official of any Republican level in the state to give a commencement address at a historical black college or university. And what I talk about, Psalms 139, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't let a federal government put a ceiling on what God wants to do for your life. So I'm unique in the sense, I believe, that, that, that we are top of the line conservative. 
but we've been able to build inroads because I want every, where this Eastern North Carolina or anywhere else, I want every boy and girl to hear this message of individual liberty and opportunity and prosperity. And that's the reason that I'm running for U.S. Senate is to take the same success we've had on in the House and take it statewide as the next senator from North Carolina. So will you promise if you are elected as the U.S. Senator that you'll make regular uh, appearances here on News of Views? <laughs> well, I guess subjectively what is regular, but I guarantee you that if we win U.S. Senate, this will be one of the stops that we come back. And we would enjoy doing so. What What is the uh, website? It's Walker, the number four, nc.com, walkerfornc.com. And they can look us up on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. We've got good momentum right now. We know it's a journey a year ahead of us, but Chuck Schumer's already here in the state trying to plot it out, and we cannot surrender North Carolina. And I believe that we can, uh, I believe it's time for North Carolina to have a strong conservative in the Senate. Well, listen, if you get an opportunity to come back down uh, as we get closer to the election, we'll have you on for the whole hour. We'll take phone calls from our listeners. That'd be a lot of fun. We'd love to do it. And uh, I'm not asking for anybody's vote today. What I'm asking is take a look at us. We hope to earn your trust at some point. And again, we wanted to introduce our listeners to you for the eastern part of the state. You're, you're a new name, a new figure, but uh, welcome to Eastern Carolina. Good to have you with us. Mark Walker, he is uh, one of two announced candidates. We'll see if we have some more, including Ted Budd and Laura Trump. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Back to News and Views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. 16 minutes before the top of the hour. Back in 2019, the former mayor of Baltimore, Catherine Pugh, who's uh, been living for the last couple of years in federal penitentiary. Uh, she had to move to the federal pen, and she had to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in restitution and fines. Why? Because the former mayor of Baltimore wrote a book, and uh, she got a bunch of people who wanted favor with the city so they could get special treatment, special contracts, um, they ended up having to buy thousands of her books. A, a great windfall. I mean, it, you know, you, you, you write some lousy book. I think it was a children's book. And then you basically, okay, it's not a bribe. These people want to buy my book. Yeah, they want to buy it so they can get something in return. The U.S. Attorney for Baltimore stated in February of 2020 Catherine Pugh betrayed the public trust for her personal gain and now faces three years in the federal pen where she will have no parole ever. Law enforcement will remain vigilant to ensure that our citizens receive the honesty and professionalism they deserve from the government officials and will prosecute officials who portray, betray the public's trust. Specifically, Pugh admitted that she had sold approximately 20,000 each of Healthy Holly books one, two, and three to the University of Maryland's medical system for $100,000 each. Do they mean each book? <laughs> I think they probably mean each book of one, two, and three. Uh, I don't know, though. I mean, these, these people, who knows? Uh, why do I bring up that old story, you ask? Good question. I bring it up because Kamala Harris has written a book. Yes, she has. Kamala Harris has written a book that is given away to every immigrant child that crosses the border. Over the weekend, the New York Post reported that the border czar, 
Kamala Harris's books were included in the Welcome Wagon like backpacks distributed to children who have been illegally brought over the southern border. Breaking 911 from the New York Post reported that the U.S. government paid for the vice president's children's books entitled Superheroes Are Everywhere. Guess who is on the cover of this book, Superheroes Are Everywhere? Guess. Yeah, you're right. Harris. Kamala Harris is on the cover underneath the words, superheroes are everywhere. On Monday, the White House spokesperson, Jen Psaki, was asked by Fox News about this sweetheart deal. Reporter, which was um, asking the question, every migrant child being brought into a shelter is given a copy of the Kamala Harris children's book. Do you know why that is? And if she making is she making any money off that? Psaki, I'd have to check on that. I'll circle around to you. I hear it's a good book. I'm not kidding. I'll circle back on that one. Thank you, Jen. The book reportedly was included in backpacks. Um, at least a thousand children at Long Beach, California shelter. Each of them had a copy. Every kid coming across has uh, as getting a book. Yeah, there you go. If you're looking uh, on cable TV or uh, if you're looking on uh, Facebook, you can see. Uh, Kamala right there with three little kids on the front of the cover. Um, so the question is, again, so we've we've had more than 172,000 migrant children. Does Kamala Harris get some percentage of the sales of these books? I, I We need to know. This is why Catherine Pugh, the former mayor of Baltimore, is now the mayor of the local penitentiary, the local federal pen outside of Baltimore. And uh, can Kamala get an adjoining cell? I mean, this this is outrageous. This is outrageous that the czar, the Biden czar for the border crisis, is making money. At least she's making fame. I'm guessing she's making money off this. At least she's making fame as every kid that comes across illegally is given one of her books. And the United States government is buying these books. Unbelievable. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Ride and shotgun with your 5 o'clock drive. And the drive home should be a delight. This is Tom Lamprecht with more news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. So we know that John Kerry has uh, previously been accused of colluding with the Iranian leaders to undermine Donald Trump's administration. Now, Iranian Foreign Minister Mohammad uh, Havid Zarif has claimed in recent leaked audio that John Kerry, when he was serving as Secretary of State during the Obama administration, informed him of more than 200 Israeli operations in Syria. Kerry has previously been accused of colluding with Iranian leaders to undermine Trump's administration. Now, as a part of the Biden administration, and uh, has uh, a seat on the National Security Council as a special envoy, presidential envoy for climate. So he's on the National Security Council, and he is leaking information to Iran on what Israel had planned to do to defend itself. Uh, this is unbelievable. I mean, uh, Iran is about as close as you can come to a declared enemy of the United States without Congress actually declaring war on them. And this goes all the way back to the Jimmy Carter administration. 
For Kerry to do this to our closest ally in the Middle East, Israel, I mean, this damages the United States. I mean, A, it, it greatly damages our credibility, but Israel is our ally. Quite frankly, this ought to, at, at the very least, at the very least, disqualify Kerry from being a part of the National Security Council. Certainly, he ought to be kicked out of the Biden administration. And uh, qu quite frankly, th that's the least that should happen. I mean, really ironic that the Obama administration would use the Logan Act to try to bring down the Trump administration. That's the, that's the act that basically says, I mean, it goes back a couple of hundred years, but it's the act that, that if, if you are aiding and abetting a foreign country at the, at the expense of the United States, then you're violating the Logan Act. And this is what they tried to get General Michael Flynn on. Well, then if they're going to go after Michael Flynn on that, could we at least have an investigation to John Kerry? I know he's innocent until proven guilty. But apparently these audio tapes from the Zarif, isn't Zarif the guy? I, I am, I'm pulling from memory here, but I mean, isn't there some sort of family relationship there that uh, Kerry's daughter or something is married to Zarif? A, a relative or a son or I, I I'm, I'm pulling from memory here, but if memory serves me right, there is a relationship there. But could we at not at least have the FBI look into this with the same fervor they looked into Michael Flynn and the deceit that took place? Or do we have anybody going to the FISA court to look into this matter? Where's the Justice Department? Crickets. I mean, there was nothing against George Papadopoulos. There was nothing against Michael Flynn. There was nothing against the former uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions. And yet all these accusations were flying around. And I'm sorry, when you look at uh, some of these agencies that used to be true blue American, flawless, honest, integrity, now you look at them and they're, they're just pawns for liberal politicians. And it continue, if, if, if the FBI would be honest, you would at least, you would at least be investigating in John Kerry, into John Kerry. Unbelievable. Hey, our thanks again to uh, Mark Walker for stopping by and uh, talking with us. Uh, and by the way, we look forward to talking to all the United States Senate candidates. I doubt if the Democrats will uh, come talk to us. But I think the Republicans will. We'll talk to all of them. Hey, have a great evening. We'll see you tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Bye-bye, everybody.